following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. No, I'm this Todd fellow that they keep talking about. Pastor Reuben asked me to deliver the message today some time ago. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. And uh, when they said that the children were just going to come into the service and, I don't know, have a coloring book or something, I thought, no, no, no. I, I want to give a special message to the children, which will also be applicable for the adults here. And so um, raise your hand if you're like between the ages of 7 and 13. Raise your hand. All right, stand up. Stand up. Go ahead. Stand up. Keep going. Be brave. Be bold. Now, I want you. I have reserved two rows for you. Can you please come up and sit and be my special guest? Come on up. There we go. Very good. Look at your seats. They're right there. Have a seat. I see my granddaughters are up here. We're filling us up. The first two rows are for you guys. And what kind of a kid's service would it be without a song for us? Come on up. I'm going to have my wonderful wife, Donna, bring us into a song. But I'm going to show you the motions. All right. You guys stand up now, kids. Stand up. Get your shovel or your spade, like this, like this. I know, boring, do I have to? Like this, and go dig. Do it, ready? Stomp louder, ready? Dig. All right, can you do well, say well, without a floor? He loves me? I think you got it. Can you start our song then? Big people stand up too, you might want to do it too, my wife says. All right, do we have, and... Uh, we'll get on there. Okay, hang on. Back one. And I'll go to it. Sorry. This should start us. Turn it up. All right, get ready. Turn it up a bit. All right, ready? Like this. Get your shovel.
that's all right. All right, all right. What kind of kids' church would we be without playing a game? So let's play the opposites game, and it's this, okay? And the adults, you can play too. Now, when I call out a word, you're going to call out its opposite. For instance, what's the opposite of big? Small or little, right? Okay. Call out loud. All right, here we go. Up. Good, good. Right. Mm-hmm. Open. Good, good. Bad. High. Uh-huh. Smooth. Bumpy, rough. Mm-hmm. Short. Tall. Fast. All right, two more. You got the hang of it. How about this? What's the opposite of, of, of? Love. Hate. Yep. How about the opposite of friend? Enemies, right? And you know what? The last two pairs are actually related to one another. Here's why. Because usually people love their friends, and what do they do to their enemies? Hate them, right? But Jesus gave us different instructions. While he did tell people, love your friends, that makes sense, right? Love your friends. He said to love your enemies as well. And to hate, who do we hate? Nobody. There's nothing from the hate line. Love your friends and don't hate anybody, right? Today's hashtag is about doing what seems like impossible. It's about loving your enemy. Can you say love your enemy? Say it louder. One more time. Ready? Love your enemy. Right, right, right. Um, <clears throat> you might say, well, when did Jesus say that? Well, he did. When Jesus was an adult, when he was old, he lived in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum, right there on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about two times bigger than Rotorua. Anybody been to Rotorua, the lake? It's about two times that, that large. And that's where he found his disciples fishing around there. So Jesus lived around that area. And he'd, he would take a boat across it. And he'd walk around it. And he would do teachings. And he would heal people. And lots of crowds of people would follow him all around to hear what he would say. Or to see what he would do. Or maybe some of them needed a healing or a miracle. So they just followed to see. Or get a miracle for someone else. Um, one day he was up on a small mountain near Capernaum where he lived. And on this particular day, he delivered uh, what's come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody heard of that? It's a sermon. It's a message he gave while he was on a small mountain near Capernaum. And so he sat, and like any Jewish teacher rabbi, he began to teach them. And his lesson might have taken an afternoon, but it had so much in it that last year, Pastor Reuben and the preaching team took six months to cover the whole thing. Well, at some point... During his sermon, he said to them, our hashtag, he says, you know, he says, most of you have heard that you're supposed to love your friends and love your neighbors, but hate your enemies, right? And everybody said, yeah, yeah, that's what everybody does. They love their friends and their neighbors, but they hate their enemies. And Jesus says, you know what? He said something strange and impossible. He told them, he said, love your enemies and do good to everyone who hates you. Now their heads must have spun around. What? Love our enemies? How about we just don't hurt the enemies? What do people do to their enemies? Tell me some things that people do to their enemies. What's one thing? Say, I don't want to be your friend. They might say mean things. What else? Do people ever push their enemy? What else? 
They might hurt them, push them, slug them, slap them, ignore them, be rude to them, be mean to them. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen that before? That's what most people do to their enemies. And Jesus said, no, I want you to love them. And to make it even worse, he says, do good to all of them. Wow. And you might say, gosh, well, that was good back then. People were all good back then. Well, no, they weren't. But you might be thinking, today, people are so evil and mean. And what would that even look like in today's world? Well, I want to show you what it might look like in today's world. In the United States, where I came from, there's a lot of protests happening. And a lot of these protests is filled with hatred and anger and violence and shouting and swearing, cursing, all kinds of terrible stuff. There was a group of very hateful people called neo-Nazis, skinheads. The guy without the hair there, not me, I'm the other guy without the hair. They hate black people, like my wife, just for being black. They're racist. They're terrible people, mean people. And there was a group of people that were protesting about them, saying, no, everybody should be equal. Everybody should be good. And this guy, he has the nerve to go walking through the crowd with his skinhead and his Nazi swastika tattoo. And as you can imagine, in many cases, the black people in the crowd and even some white people that didn't agree with him were mad at him, angry at him, hating their enemy, spitting on him, punching him even. But this is what happened. This is what one guy, this guy named Aaron Courtney, he's a black uh, football coach. This is how he showed the hashtag. This is how he loved that enemy. Hopefully the video will play. What would you do if you were face-to-face -face with hatred? Would you yell? Would you punch? For Aaron Courtney, a high school football coach from Gainesville, Florida, the answer was hug. Courtney was on his way out from a protest against white nationalist Richard Spencer's speech at University of Florida when he spotted his chance to confront someone who hates his very existence. He just had one question. What a, oh, you don't like me. But Randy Furness, a neo-Nazi skinhead, didn't have an answer. Instead, he stared. I could have hit him. I could have hurt him, Courtney told the New York Daily News. But something in me said, you know what? He just needs love. That's when Courtney, taking his father's teaching as a bishop at heart, offered Furness a hug, and finally he got an answer. I don't know. It's a gesture that a former white supremacist recommends as more effective than a punch, and Samantha Bee recently even dedicated a whole tongue-in-cheek segment to it. I would imagine in the history of the world, nobody's changed their opinion because they got punched in the face, because it now makes them the victim. So, hug a Nazi. Christian Piccolino now runs Life After Hate, a counter-radicalization group, and says that the key to reaching and reforming white supremacists is understanding. The best way yes. to destroy hate is with love. I'm sorry. You said what now? Daryl Davis, a blues musician. All right, so um, there you have it. I mean, one guy said no one has ever changed their opinion because they got punched in the face or called a name. You know, I've lived a little bit longer than you, and I've known that's to be true. People that hate black people or are angry or are enemies, you're never going to make them your friends. You're never going to change them by pushing them, shoving them, calling names, or getting angry at them. It's true. He said on there, if there was a chance that you could somehow change someone's eyes, open someone's eyes to a new perspective, like not hating black people, with kindness, would you do it? Would you do it? Would you hug that Nazi guy? You know, Aaron Courtney, it was incredible. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus challenged his, his disciples, his followers to do on that mountain. 
Basically, he said, are you going to love your enemy? Are you going to do something different to make those hateful people change their minds and be a little less hateful? That's what he said. That's what Jesus challenged the crowds with. That's what Jesus is challenging you to do, to me to do, all of you there to do today. He said, Aaron said he remembered his father's teaching. His father was a pastor, a bishop. <clears throat> and I'm sure he must have taught on this verse, <clears throat> Luke 6, 27. Love your enemies. Pray for those that hate you. And he reflected on that. And Aaron said, I read an article, that Aaron said that when he was hugging that guy, that hate-filled guy, that God whispered in his ear that you've just changed this man's life. He felt God whisper that. And it probably changed Aaron's life too. He might have became less hateful or whatever. He says, I could have hit him. I could have hurt him. But that wouldn't have done anything. It would have made the guy even more angrier about it. And so our natural reaction is to hurt those who hurt us. Our brains are so powerful. God has made powerful brains that we make automatic things, automatic decisions. For instance, how many of you know how to ride a bike? Raise your hand if you know how to ride a bike. I brought my bike with me today. Well, not all of it. I just brought a part of it. So I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to answer by pointing. Let's get a little practice. Point to the right. Point to the left. Okay, here's my question. You're going to point at the end. All of you are going to point. If you're riding your bike, and I'll have to turn my back. If you're riding your bike, and the bike <clears throat> begins to lean to the left, which way do you turn the handlebars? To the left or to the right? Ready? Point. 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 I'm seeing hands every way but up. Your brains have made it so automatic, it's just a habit. And by the way, the real answer is, which way am I going to go? Left. You turn left into it, and it brings the back correct again. Try it at home if you don't believe me. Hopefully some of you can get past this little thought and think, okay, I'm going to pay attention to the rest of the message. See, our, our brain, just like when, when, you know, the bike turns to the right, we lean to the right. We turn to the right. When the bike leans uh, to the left, we... Lean left. I have to do that backwards, right, so you can see what's what. Just like that, our brains have made habits out of hating our enemies, returning evil for evil, a tit for a tat, a bad answer for a bad answer. Our brains have made it automatic, and it's very hard to change a habit. For instance, there was a young man, an engineer in the United States. His name is Dustin Sandlin, and his he attempted to ride a bicycle that his colleagues had made. They had built it special, only it was a backwards bike. When you turn the wheel right, it goes left. Look what happens. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, Whoa. the wheel goes to the left. See? I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. All right. So, the faster I go, the better. 
<laughs> yeah. Didn't get very I couldn't far. do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer. I do not make... You've heard people say it's just Let like... Let me go back to... Okay, there we go. Because it went right into my next one. So he said my thinking was in a rut. He just kept thinking in the old bicycle. When it leans to the right, you go to the right. When it leans to the left, you go to the left. But it wouldn't work on this backward steering bicycle. His thinking was in a rut. And in the same way, our thinking just gets in a rut. We get into patterns of hating our enemies and doing what to them what they've done to us. You might have seen your parents. Maybe one parent will say something small. And the next parent takes offense and says something uh, a little bit offensive. And that parent will turn back and the next minute they're into a big heated argument. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that happen. That's called a rut. I don't know which of you belong to which parent, so I'm not going to try and match you up. Put your hands down quick. That's a rut. It's automatic, and you're wondering, what just happened? Can't we just all get along? He's pointing out his dad. See, dad? Mom? That's called a rut. And you know what? It's not just Destin that has a problem riding this backwards bike. It's not just him. He's taking this bike around the world to see if anybody else could ride it. You've heard people say, I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 oh, come feet on, across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. All right, I'm sick. All right, so, uh, whatever you're in, yeah. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Dude, look. All right, here we go. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. See, these people had a rigid way of thinking. Um, how many of you guys think maybe you could ride that bike? Give it a try. Uh, maybe? Yeah, I would have too. I would have raised my hand when I was young. I could probably do that. No problem, right? Um, and Dustin knows that nobody that's been riding a bike for a while could do it because their brains have been trained to uh, that old habit of when the bike leans to the right, you turn right. You, you just automatically do it. And many of you didn't even know that's what you were doing. You pointed the other direction. But you know, in the same, very same way, we've trained our brains how to treat our enemies. When they insult us, we insult them right back. When they call us a dirty name or something, we call them a, a, a dirty name as well. When they give us a dirty, mean look, 
we give them a dirty, mean look, or maybe even stick out your tongue. How many of you ever stuck out your tongue at somebody? Raise your hands. Raise, you know you have. Raise your hands. You're lying. All right. When they give us a push or a shove or say mean things, we just give them a punch. Just give them a punch. That's what our brains, you've trained them to sometimes. It's a hard habit to break. But the good news is, the really good news, guys, is we can. We can retrain our brains. We can make better habits, different habits, habits that please God. We can return kindness for hate. Impossible, you say. Well, even Destin, believe it or not, the more he tried to ride that backwards bike and retrain his brain, the more his brain finally figured out we're riding a bike that's got back, backwards steering. And he finally was able to do it. So here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. Eight One day months. I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. At least he could do it, right? He retrained his brain. And, and the good news is, I didn't play it, but it took him eight months, right? He put his, was a six-year-old son on it. And within a week, his brain was retrained to ride that thing. So your brains are young. Don't get them so deep in that habit of bad, something bad to me, I'll push you back. I'll return evil for evil. I'll not let not anybody talk to me that way. You can train your brains. It wasn't easy. He said it wasn't natural. He said any distraction, and he went back into the old. And so it takes concentration, guys, to do our hashtag, to love our enemies. Say that again. Love, love your enemies. <clears throat> it seems so unnatural that old habits and old thoughts, they take over. And like, like Destin, he said it takes purposeful effort. Now, you might think, that's impossible, Mr. Todd. You don't know my enemy. Think of that person that gets under your skin, that person that always makes you so mad. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a bully at school. You think, that's impossible. I couldn't possibly do that. They, they just make everybody so mad. But would Jesus... Would he have told us to do something on the Sermon of the Mount that, that was impossible? You think it would, I mean, if your parents say, I want you to fly up to the ceiling, you'd say, Mom, Dad, that's impossible. Would Jesus have told you to do something that was impossible? No, he wouldn't. But he also promised that he would help. When you ask him, his Holy Spirit helps us to overcome that. To do good for people that curse you and you bless them. For anybody who's cruel to you, you pray for them. The Bible even says if someone slaps you, just turn them the other cheek. Now, they're not talking about letting somebody bully and beat up on you. What they're saying is don't take revenge on people. Go tell your parents or the teacher, but don't take revenge. Don't let your heart be filled with hatred. And so he promises he's going to help us. Now, one more question. Did Jesus tell you something to do, me something to do, that he didn't do himself? That he wouldn't do himself? You think Jesus loved his enemies? Did he ever show his enemies kindness? I mean, think about the Easter story. Easter story. When the Jewish religious leaders arrested Jesus, they punched him and they spit on him. They, they blindfolded him and they said, Jesus, and they hit him. 
Tell us who just hit you if you're really God. They were mocking him. And then when they turned him over to the Romans, the Romans whipped him, scourged him, mocked him some more, spit on him some more, pulled out his beard. They even put a big crown of thorns on his head, smashed it down, and he bled and bled and bled. Wow. Now, Jesus could have struck back. Jesus was God. He could have snapped his fingers and they would have all disappeared. They would have all fallen dead. He had the power to do that, but he didn't. He even let them put him on a cross between two criminals. These guys were guilty, but Jesus was completely innocent. Had never done anything wrong. Never said anything wrong. Totally innocent man being accused wrongly, being tortured. You know what he said on the cross? He said, Father, I know what I would have said, Father, get them! But he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know that they're crucifying the person that loves them more than anybody ever could or would. They don't know they're putting on the cross the very Son of God. Forgive them. So Jesus, he certainly loved his enemies. One of the soldiers that was nearby, he was so taken by this that he looked up and he he saw Jesus' love and how he forgave his enemies and how he was taking it. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. And you know what? My goal is that when people see me, they'll see me as a child of God. Not just because I go to church, which is a good thing. Not just because I read my Bible, which is a good thing, or pray. But when they see me loving my enemy. I just did two weeks of camp, and one day I was chopping firewood for the camp. I was really, really tired. I got to the top of the hill, and there was this gardener person. One of the boys in my group had stepped on just one, one little plant. She was the gardener. And man, she was letting me have it. I just planted this plant, and it's precious, and tell your boys to not do this. Why are they so? And she went on, and on, and on. And I, my flesh, my, the old habit wanted to say, hey, can't you just be quiet? It's just one plant. We've been, they've been helping me carry firewood up this hill all day. But I didn't. I just said, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will tell them. And you know what? There was another lady watching, and the next day, this lady came to me and said, wow, I really appreciate the way you had patience with that plant gardener. I really appreciate the way you had love and patience and didn't, didn't say anything mean to her. And I thought, wow, that feels good when somebody notices that you're a child of God because you've loved your enemy, because you've loved. And that's what Jesus promised. He says, if you love your enemies, if you show this kind of love, you will be children of God, which is really cool. Now, you might think, gosh, Todd, it just seems too hard, too impossible. I'll tell you what, it is without God's help. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Think of that enemy, brother, sister, the person that makes you the maddest, the person you say the mean things to and use your fists on them. Let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Dear God, you can pray in your mind after me. Dear God, thank you that Jesus loved his enemies and forgave them. Thank you that he forgives me when I do wrong things. Help me to conquer hate with love. Conquer evil with good. Help me, God, to develop a new habit. A habit of loving my enemies. Doing good to them. Praying for them instead of hating them. I cannot do this on my own strength. I ask for your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, once you develop a new habit, 
it can become so strong and so powerful that the old habit seems strange. For instance, Destin rode that backward steering bike for so long that when he got on a, a regular bike, he didn't no longer know, know how to do it. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday Meetup, if you will, and I'm going to see if somebody brings a bicycle and I'm going to try to ride a normal bike. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I've proved is that I could only redesignate that bias. So what you're not seeing is just a group of people here looking at me, looking at the strange American that can't ride a bike because they think I'm dumb. But I'm actually two levels deep into this because I've learned and unlearned. All right. After 20 minutes of making a fool out of myself, suddenly my brain clicked back into the old algorithm. I can't explain it, but it happened in a very specific moment. <laughs> yes. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, click, hold it, click. click. I got it, I got it. Okay, there it is. There's the moment. Good. Okay. But did, did you notice how difficult it was for him to ride a normal bike? I want us to begin to practice loving instead of hating, praying for our enemies instead of cursing them to the point where it seems so natural, we don't even know how to hate our enemies. You know, I asked you if Jesus ever loved his enemies, and we talked about on the cross, there's one more way, guys, and I'm going to be finished. One more way that Jesus loved his enemies. He loved us, and we were his enemies. Jesus loved his enemies by loving us. The Bible says in Romans, it says, but God showed how much he loved us by having Jesus die for us, even though we were sinful. So look at me, look up. Ari, look up. When, when, when somebody lies, when they steal, when they bully, when they disobey their parents, when they use bad language, that's called a sin. They're sinning against other people, and they're also sinning against God. And God doesn't like that at all. But you know what? Jesus loved us. He loved each of you enough to die on that cross for us. He took the punishment that you and I deserve so we could be forgiven of our wrong deeds and we could be called the children of God. In a minute, you're going to take, we're all going to take communion. There's a wafer that represents Jesus' body that was broken. And there's some juice that represents his blood that was poured out because of that beating. As we take communion, let's remember Jesus' love for us. Let's remember and thank God. Thank him for loving us even when we had made him an enemy by doing wrong things. And lastly, if you've never done so, maybe you can ask Jesus <coughs> to for forgive your sins. Forgive all the wrong things you've done. Make you one of his children. All right, guys, you can come up. Uh, let me just pray for you. Uh, we'll pray about this, and I'll have the musicians come up, and we'll take communion and be done. Jesus, I pray <coughs> that my small friends and my large friends alike take this to heart, God. Begin, begin building a new pattern, a new habit, a new way of living. We need your Holy Spirit, God. <coughs> As we take communion, may we remember your love. May we remember your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, 
or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.